Hello, everybody. So we know in health professions and physical therapy, as research continues to come through, our understanding of the human body evolves and how it functions together. And over the last couple years, we've seen a big push as we have a better understanding of how the pelvic floor really contributes to the whole person, the whole picture of their function. Question then becomes is, what are we looking for? What are we actually doing with the pelvic floor? What truly constitutes an expert that can take care of individuals who have pelvic floor needs? There is a huge need out there for experts to treat this population. But what does that look like? And what are we looking for? Coming up next. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapists in Motion, the Spooner podcast. Unfortunately, Dan is out of the state tonight, so Paul is here by himself running the show. Fortunately, I have three excellent guests with me tonight, Sarah Guyano, Larissa Shapps, and Carrie Schofield. Hello, everybody. Hello. So real quick round table, if you guys just want to go through, introduce yourselves and let us know how long you've been working with this population or why you first decided to work with these individuals. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I've been doing pelvic health rehab for about four years, and I got into it because I saw it as just being a large vacancy of needing really passionate therapists treating these patients. Hi, my name is Larissa Shapps. I have been treating pelvic floor patients for about four years. I got started initially because one of my coworkers um, had a personal experience dealing with pelvic floor issues. And so having to navigate the healthcare system um, with her, we realized that there was a shortage in the field of physical therapy. And she was only able to find physical therapists that treated pelvic floor by going cash pay. And so within our model at Spooner Physical Therapy, we decided to get trained and be able to treat this patient population um, through utilizing insurance. Hi, I'm Carrie Schofield and I have been treating pelvic health for the last four years. I started taking courses because I believed that I was not adequately treating my patients um, how they needed to be treated. I was seeing patients with chronic hip and low back pain as well as pre and postpartum and I just found that I needed more information. And then ironically I started having my own issues so I really just wanted more information and I started taking the courses and I just became more and more fascinated with the information that I was receiving and just how much this population needed someone that knew what they were doing and how they could treat their issues. And so I was determined to become specialized in this field because I wanted to help the people that just didn't know where to find the right help. Excellent. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. So I'm going to just start this off with a real simple question, maybe an assumption even. You just talk about the pelvic floor. I think most people just go right to incontinence. But what all is the pelvic floor responsible for? What are the roles it actually plays within the human body? I think if you look at the, the real function of the pelvic floor, you can go back to what we call the three basic S's. So that's sphincter control, stability, and sexual function. So those are kind of the main components, but then there's so many other components that are um, included in this, this field, including digestive health or abdominal health. Um, then you just have your chronic pain 
low back, hip pain. Um, so, you know, it's just not all encompassing. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. We talk about chronic pain and its impact, and I, I think you guys were talking before a little bit about some research that came out recently about low back pain and how that can contribute to pelvic floor issues. You guys want to touch on that really quickly? Before we completely answer that, something to consider is what constitutes the core within our body. And the core, think of the core as uh, like a canister, and the top is your diaphragm, the bottom is your pelvic floor, and this, the walls or the sides is your abdominal and your back musculature. So then that takes us back to people who have chronic low back pain, chronic issues related to that. Research is showing that they tend to have an inhibited pelvic floor and vice versa. We have other findings in, in inverse to that. So I'm sure, I know Carrie touched on this briefly, uh, just feeling like you were missing part of the picture. Maybe there was something that wasn't quite getting the final solution that you needed for your patients. Do you guys have any stories of an individual that maybe had received treatment elsewhere or you had been treating for a while that the missing piece was the pelvic floor and maybe potentially how hidden it can be at times? I think back to, say, five years ago before I started taking courses and I, I remember this lady who had chronic hip pain and I could... I could kind of touch her pain and I would give her some temporary relief, but she would come back and it would just not be all the way gone. And now that I've taken these courses and have been treating this population, I just think back to that and said, wow, if I just would have known what I know now, I could have helped her so much better and more efficiently. Um, and now I have this patient who, you know, she came to me recently and she's had multiple surgeries for, um, you know, uterine prolapse and bladder prolapse and rectal prolapse and and then she went years with just having this low back and tailbone pain and went to specialists spine specialists had injections had MRIs um, you know numerous imaging but nothing was showing up on it and she she almost just gave up and and finally she went back to her gynecologist who luckily realized that you know, some of these issues are still coming from your pelvic floor and your reproductive organs. And, you know, they address the issues, but she's still having pain. So now we have to go back to, okay, just kind of what Sarah alluded to is what has now shut down in her body, not just her pelvic floor, but it goes back to, again, like her diaphragm and her breathing patterns and her core. Like, so you, you talk about, you know, you, you wish you knew then some of the things that you know now. So let's go ahead and take current Sarah, current Larissa, and current Carrie. You guys get to speak to your past selves. What are you going to tell yourself? What are the questions to ask? What are you looking for? What do you try to find in your patient, whether it's on the eval day or things just aren't quite going the way you expect and you're three, four weeks in? Where are you going? What are you looking for? Um... You know, same thing as Carrie. I think back to some of the patients that I've treated in the past. Um, I re I've been working in a clinic for five years, and so I've seen repeat patients over the last couple of years. Um, one specifically sticks in my mind where I saw her for low back pain, and a couple of years later saw her again for low back pain after I'd taken several courses, and my approach was completely different. And I had told the patient, like, I've taken a lot of different coursework, so this evaluation is going to be different than what you're used to. Um, and with that, I started asking different questions. You know, do you have a history of childbirth? Do you have a history of hysterectomy? Any abdominal surgeries? Um, any other his history of surgeries within the pelvic floor? And I come to find out that she's had three children, vaginal birth, she had a hysterectomy, she had a bladder sling, 
And all this was before the time I had treated her initially. And so I start taking a different approach and go more towards the pelvic floor versus straight to the low back and hip area. And we start to unravel some things because there's just so much scar tissue and her abdominal muscles have been shut down. Her pelvic floor muscles have been shut down. So just kind of taking the step back and really diving into more of those specific pelvic floor questions um, to really get a full history and make sure that you are addressing the, the patient from a holistic standpoint. You know, Larissa, you bring up a good example of a, a very complex patient history, and I, I've learned a lot just from working closely with you all, but I guess personally, I seem to find that a lot of the health histories don't contain much of this information. This is not something that is whether individuals just don't readily want to disclose these things or whether it just doesn't seem like something you'd think of when you have hip pain or thoracic pain or neck pain as something that needs to be or is pertinent to the treatment. Um, do you guys see that as well and have to dig into it, particularly when you're not treating one specifically sent for pelvic floor, but you just have a typical orthopedic patient in front of you? How much is disclosed and how much do you have to kind of start digging and asking questions for? Yeah, I feel like you always get a weird look when you ask a rather personal question, and especially when you're treating them for their low back and they were sent from an orthopedic specialist and you start asking them about their eating habits and their bowel habits and their bladder habits and they're looking at you like what does this even have to do with why I'm here and so I found that my approach has changed because I'm just educating a lot more on the connections between everything in the body and how it how our physical pain is manifested through many different ways and after this education, do you feel like the patients are understanding they're good, or do you have any other specific strategies you find that helps the patient understand why this is such an important question, an important role in their function? Oh, yeah. I, I really try and make a point of spending a lot of time educating using pictures and models, and it never fails that I always get the comment of, well, why hasn't ever anybody ever asked me this before, anybody ever told me this before? Um, so I find that they're appreciative, and, and I always say that anything with, related to pelvic health is, while it can be very scary, you're, you're learning a lot about yourself and your body at the same time. So for those of us that don't particularly have the training education you all have, but treat people with pelvic floors, aka every person that walks through our door, what are the questions that we should be looking for? When should we be deciding, hey, this needs a specialist to get involved or at least take a deeper look and see what may or may not be contributing to this entire picture? I think once you feel comfortable with a patient, you know, after you've built some rapport, because it's if, if you're not a trained pelvic floor therapist, it's hard to ask some of these personal questions on the first visit. But I think if once you start to suspect it and you feel like you've built that relationship with the patient, I think it's time to dig a little bit deeper and ask, you know, do you have pain with sitting? Where is it located? Do you have like what's your do you have a surgical history, a birth history? What's your history related to your periods or your menstrual cycle? Um, do you have pain with intercourse? You know, that's a personal question, but it's also gives a lot of information when they answer that. And that correlated with some of their other medical history can really start to clue you in if you're starting to suspect that maybe a pelvic floor issue is going on. So what's the answer, though, you're looking for? Pain with sitting. I have tons of people that have pain with sitting. They all have pain with sitting. Should I send them to you always? Or what, what am I trying to hear? What do I need to know before I send them out? 
I think, so let's say they say they have pain with sitting, then you got to ask them where. So if they're pointing to underneath their pelvis, maybe next to their ischial tuberosity, maybe it's coccyx pain, then I'm definitely going back to my anatomical connections of those pelvic floor muscles and thinking about what that means, which is probably going to be a pretty big pelvic floor contribution. I'm always asking about or trying to figure out patterns of patterns of their pain, um, not just, you know, we, we typically ask, okay, is your pain differ throughout the day? But I really ask, does it differ throughout the month or, um, you know, just related to eating habits or, you know, how does their pain pattern change in relation to, um, you know, their daily activities and not just, you know, throughout the day. I think one question that um, Sarah might have forgot to um, to speak about was incontinence and do they have any history of incontinence, whether it be urge or stress or mixed incontinence. I think as a society, we've kind of pushed this under the table as being just a way of life after having childbirth or after going through a traumatic event. And it's something that definitely is a symptom and can be treated with the appropriate assessment and interventions. Agreed. And even just asking them how many times they have to urinate at night can give a big hint. Or do they have a lot of issues with constipation? Those are pretty big clues, too, on pelvic floor function. I got to ask the question because we all see it. You see like the CrossFitters or the individuals who have heavy workouts and they do the double unders and they're, they're working so hard that they wet themselves. Normal? Not normal. Weigh in. Not normal. Not normal. Not normal. <laughs> treatable. Yes. Definitely treatable. Incontinence is a symptom, not a disease. It is not a way of life that you just deal with after childbirth. Or when you're elderly. And it's not an indication of how hard you're working out either. And obviously, as you guys talked about before, if these things aren't addressed, they could lead to other issues down the road. So it's not just, ah, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. I can deal with it. There might be something else you're setting this up for. Is that correct to, to assume there? Yes. The 30-year-old doing CrossFit and peeing themselves during double unders, I'd be curious of what they're going to be like when they're 60 and how their pelvic floor is going to be if they don't take care of it now. Uh, Larissa, you mentioned a little bit of uh, pre and postpartum before. And I know a certain other countries, it's actually very common for every female to go to a physical therapist after having a child, sometimes even before having a child. What are your guys' recommendations to patients as far as before, after, what's the type of therapy they should be seeking out and potentially asking the doctor, hey, I would like to go to physical therapy. There are a lot of things that I could really address. Yeah, I think you go for your six-week checkup after you give birth. And as long as medically everything's okay, your, your physician says, okay, you're good to go. And you're so worried about taking care of your new child and you kind of put your own health to the side. But, um, you know, you think about it every time you have a surgery, you have to have therapy. Well, giving birth is very traumatic and, um, you know, your body just doesn't bounce back no matter how old you are, how good of shape you're in. Um, you kind of have to look at how your pregnancy was, how your past pregnancies were, um, maybe your first pregnancy is different than your second or your third pregnancy. So, you know, it doesn't need to be a six-week, six-month treatment. It could just be a one- or two-session thing just, again, to get more education and, and learn how to safely get back to your normal activities. I would totally agree with that. And I would love to see women be sent to physical therapy pre or post childbirth just for the education piece of it. They may not need physical therapy, 
But just to be properly trained on how to do a Kegel or how to take care of their diastasis recti after having a child. Um, so many women I see after childbirth and they say, well, I've been doing my Kegels. And I ask them, well, are you doing them correctly? Or were you ever taught how to do them? And the answer is always no, I was never taught and I have no idea if I'm doing them correctly. And so just educating them on how to do them correctly is a huge piece of the missing puzzle that we have. Um, and the other thing, you know, we briefly talked about um, the entire core and how it brings up the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, the abdominal muscles, the back muscles, and talking about the diastasis recti and what happens to the abdominal muscles after childbirth um, and making sure that we are retraining our diaphragm and the abdominal muscles to properly stabilize to help us, you know, later on in life. I think too, women, they really want to get back to being in good shape again. So they, they go to a yoga class or they go to a fitness class and kind of to what Paul alluded to at the very beginning of this podcast is the, the term pelvic floor is being thrown around so much now because we realize that it is an important aspect of care. But, you know, who's to say that the yoga instructor knows what they're really talking about when they say tighten your pelvic floor or the person doing it, you know, no one really knows where their pelvic floor is and what it does until you actually feel it. And that's where we come in because we've been specially trained to feel an appropriate pelvic floor contraction and then safely teach these people how to get back to these activities again. And I really want to emphasize that because I keep hearing appropriate, correct, the, the training that is necessary. Again, this has become such a popular thing to treat. I started seeing the shotgun approach and I've seen this in a number of different places and different companies, different therapists where they ask the questions you ask, they find out there's an incontinence issue and they go, okay, well, I know that research shows that if I do a prolonged adductor contraction or recruitment, that's going to get pelvic floor to contract and we're going to get everything better. And the, the solution to it is just let's contract the pelvic floor. It's let's strengthen the pelvic floor. There's more to it than that, right? Strengthen the pelvic floor is not the answer and potentially might be a detriment in certain situations. Absolutely. Kegels and pelvic floor strengthening from the get-go is not a one-step one, one solution to pelvic floor dysfunction. Sometimes, I think a good example of that is, you know, you get a patient in that experiences urinary incontinence and everyone assumes that it's a weak pelvic floor and their doctor has told them to do Kegels and it either gets worse or it doesn't change. So as a trained pelvic floor therapist, you should be doing an internal pelvic floor assessment on every patient that comes in. And these patients might, in fact, actually have a tight pelvic floor that is inhibited and not functioning properly, which could then lead to incontinence. It's not always just a weak pelvic floor. And strengthening is not going to help that that tension, correct? Correct. That's Kegels gonna... are just going to reinforce that dysfunctional holding pattern, that, which is what you've got to retrain. So then the question becomes, you've got a lot of good information, good individuals to treat, but what about men? Uh, issues you might see with them, anything different? Same questions, different questions. Is there a difference? Because obviously, again, everyone has a pelvic floor, but what are we looking at from the male side of things? The questions are, are pretty similar. They're going to be a little bit different just because their anatomy is different, obviously. But, you know, we talk a lot about pre and postpartum with women. Uh, a big thing with males is, you know, prostate and a lot of these men, you know, they find out they may need a prostatectomy or um, some type of procedure done, but, you know, they go into these procedures not knowing anything of what to expect, and it is very common to have leakage after a prostatectomy, 
and they just have no idea how long it's going to last or, you know, what are the, what's the right equipment that they need for home care or how do they get back to normal life and will they ever get back to normal? Um, so I've in the past have really pushed physicians to get patients in pre-surgery to just educate them on what to expect. And then I feel like they come out of it with just much less apprehension and fear and and just know that it's going to take time, but then they already have some of the proper education. And I've already pre-trained them on how to do a Kegel before their surgery so that after their surgery, they're already working on it themselves. And then they can just come in to me and it may not need to be for multiple sessions, but just one or two just to see you know, how they're doing and what other coaching they may need. Thank you. So a lot of great information. So my final question is, how do patients get to you? What are they What are they looking for and what do they need to actually find their way to the appropriate health professional to address these issues? I think you're going to get a lot of varying answers on the internet. So it's just having that simple conversation with whoever you trust, whether that be your primary care provider or your OBGYN or... Um, you know, maybe it's a physical therapist that you've seen in the past. And that's really what we're trying to do is just educate all health professionals across the realm of just not, not only knowing the questions to ask, but just kind of the signs and symptoms to, you know, keep their ears out for when their patients are talking to them about what they're experiencing. And it doesn't matter what age you are, you can be 25 or you can be 75 and you can still be experiencing pelvic floor dysfunction. So just as a final recap, what are some of those signs and symptoms that people should be having their ears out for to send them to you all to get the appropriate treatment they should have? Any forms of incontinence, whether it be urge incontinence, stress incontinence, um, pelvic pain. Yeah, any dietary changes or, you know, anything bowel or bladder related, um, hormonal changes, um, you know, stress I even think from the orthopedic side, some of those lingering, diffuse pain complaints through the pelvis, low back, hip, a lot of times those are a pelvic floor connection for sure. Um, it can just be weakness of the abdominal muscles after childbirth. Yeah. Like we talked about at the beginning, how the connection between the diaphragm and the core just changes in breathing patterns. You know, if we, if we change our breathing patterns and it's going to affect our pelvic floor as well. Excellent. Well, thank you all. I appreciate you being here and having the great information. So again, if anyone out there listening has any comments, concerns, you can know how to reach us, therapistsinmotion at SpoonerPT.com. Thanks. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.